As a disclaimer, this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional from any such conditions. Hey, everybody. Uh, Super, super excited about this week's guest. Um, He is a local legend on the court as well as in the classroom. Um, He is a 1996 graduate from Cathedral Prep, um, won a state championship there, played in several other state championship games, played against Kobe Bryant. And um, we shared some time at Mercyhurst when we were there in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And uh, just a ton of respect. He is now making waves, um, helping to change the futures of so many lucky individuals uh, in the Fairview School District. Uh, it's Keith Neese. So it's going to be a great episode. We talk about family. We talk about our passions, both with uh, our similar interests in basketball. We both like shoes. Um, he's a huge special education advocate and uh, kind of runs the special education department through the Fairview School District. So you're going to want to stay tuned, watch the whole thing. Uh, we've got a great, great episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll see you in a little bit. everybody. Welcome to season two of Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Molly, orthopedic surgeon, cutter of bones, business owner, entrepreneur, but most importantly, loving husband and father of three young, busy boys. And today I am extremely excited about this guest. Um, it's a guy that I've kind of followed for quite some time. Uh, we both were Mercyhurst Lakers back in the day. Um, he is a standout athlete and just a human being from the, uh, Erie area. Uh, without further ado, Keith Neese. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Keith, 
again, I'm just excited to have you here. Um, I've known you for, for quite some time. Um, you know, we overlapped for about three years at Mercyhurst and, uh, you've just done so many good things kind of in the community here and, and personally as well throughout your, your athletic career. So, um, what we always do for the first thing is just kind of give our guests a, a sneak peek, a 30,000 foot view as to who's Keith Neese, where'd you grow up and your family, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, from Erie, Erie PA, born, raised, never left. Uh, quite proud of that. Um, I'm an Erieite and, uh, I, I like to brag about Erie and, and all the wonderful things that this area has to offer. Um, you know, went to Catholic schools in, in grade school, then uh, Cathedral Prep High School, and then stayed locally at uh, Mercier's University, or back then it was Mercier's College. College, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, currently, I live in Fairview. I have two beautiful uh, girls. Seventh and seventh grade is Ava, and fourth grade is Ivy. And then my beautiful wife, Jamie, and uh, work in the area in the Fairview School District. Been there for 23 years. Uh, and again, born and raised in Erie and haven't left. Is your wife from the Erie area too? Yeah, wife's from Pittsburgh. Okay. So a uh, good story about that is I was student or she was student teaching at Fairview uh, right across from my classroom. And uh, she's, a, she's a beautiful lady. She caught my eye and... Um, we started dating then and got married, and it's been... Uh, you were able to suck her into Erie, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got her to stay here. I don't know what I did. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was... So we got married in 2009. We've been married for, what? what's that, 14 years. Yeah. Now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Kind of a similar story. I met my wife and, um, when I moved to Michigan in 2005. We got married 2008, mm-hmm. and she's a Michigan girl, and somehow I... I convinced her to move to Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But she settled in nicely as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she, my Jamie, Jamie's her name. She's a special education teacher in the Fort LaBeouf School District. So, uh, that education piece is in our family. Yeah, you've got a little common denominator there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you thirsty? Yes. So, yes. you know, I always ask my guests what they like, what their favorite drink or cocktail is. And, Keith gave me a couple different options, <laughs> and um, the one that really sounded good to me was Blue Moon. I haven't had it for a while, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, that's a good beer. Unfortunately, I don't have any oranges to put in it, <laughs> that, so hopefully you can uh, forgive me for that. But um, you, when we first started here, you kind of mentioned that you had seen um, the Jordan Fee uh, episode, kind of talking about the, the system at uh, Gannon, which is a, a crazy style of basketball. Um, actually was there yesterday. I took my boys. Uh, they played Cal. Both teams were 18 and two and both, uh, 12 and two in the PSAC and Gannon pulled out a nail biter. Uh, they were up, I think by close to 20 points with about maybe 10 minutes to go. Gannon was and, um, IEP or not IEP, but Cal made a run and, uh, took the lead with about six or seven minutes to go. And I just thought it was over. I mean, Gannon just hit a real cold spell there and then they kind of pulled it together and came back and won 107 to 98 so there you go awesome trade glasses here i have one you got one here. yeah that's yours to okay. keep you can take the oh, uh the clean one all right perfect so keith you know you may have noticed during the uh the jordan fee episode that we have a little theme in terms of um, questions, answers. Yep, so absolutely. what I'll have you do first is, um, cause I think most people want to 
learn more about you. They're probably bored of hearing about me. Same, same with myself. But, um, you know, you can ask me three business questions, then three personal questions, and then um, we'll spin the tables and, and the fun part will begin when I get to ask yep, you questions. Yep. So, so fire away. Yeah, I just want to touch base on, on Jordan Fee and Gannon. I have yet to see him play, but, you know, growing up, obviously I played basketball at Mercer's College, but growing up, uh, Gannon was the, the talk of the town, the hit of the town, and um, you would go to a game there. I was in, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and everyone wanted to be a golden knight then, and uh, every game was sold out. They had Gumby. They used to throw toilet paper after they made that that first basket of the game. The atmosphere was unbelievable, and um, and then, uh, you know, for, for a few of the last years, they haven't been too great, so what Jordan's doing is, is great to get that uh, – the area needs that that basketball, Gannon basketball, to be back on the map. So, yeah, it, it hurt me a little bit to wear a Gannon shirt while <laughs> I was, sure. but I've been to five Gannon games this yeah, year so yeah, far, and yeah. um, I'm, I'm just a fan of sports in general. Absolutely. And even though I'm a Mercier Slaker and bleed blue and green, but uh, I'm a huge Jordan Fee fan, and yeah. uh, my boys have really kind of fallen in love with that style of basketball because yeah. it's a fun style of basketball yep, to watch. Yep. Yep. So let's cheers here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good looking beer too. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my first question was, um, you know, you did a little little uh, hip replacement on me, and mm-hmm. and um, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, <laughs> what you did was amazing, and, and the whole process was fantastic. But question I had was, I know you do knees too. What do you prefer to do, knees or hips, and why? Yeah, you know, I have quite a few people kind of ask me that question, and. Um, a lot of people, when they hear what I do, they think that it would be boring because I, I only do two things and they think it would be very redundant and monotonous. Uh, but quite frankly, I love the fact that I can do two different operations. And, and each time I do a hip or each time I do a knee, it's very different. I look at each case uh, very personalized. I'm a meticulous planner. Um, so the, the, the short answer to your question is I don't have one that I prefer more than the others. I will say that I sometimes go through phases where I'm like, maybe I don't, I'm, I'm a little knee heavy. I'm like, gosh, I wish I had some more hips. Mm-hmm. And then about my practice is about 50, 50. Um, but there's definitely phases. Uh, I've been real hip heavy lately. I think the past couple of weeks I've done probably 60 to 70% hips versus knees. And then this upcoming week, it's very knee heavy. So it's kind of a nice mixture. Um, I will tell you that knee replacements to me, there's a lot more steps that go into each one of them. There's mm-hmm. probably about 150 steps, um, hip replacements. There's not as many like steps and, but there's, it's, I would say it's a little bit more artistic, right? Cause, and a lot more pre-op planning. So before your hip, um, I, I sit down and I, I look at all my x-rays and I kind of draw up my plan called templating where I'll, I'll put the cup, the, the socket part that goes up into the pelvis. I'll put the stem down on a computer screen um, it's all digital, so I can move things around. I can kind of figure out what sizes I think are appropriate, say, for your anatomy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't commit me to using that during the case because I can always change it. Like when I t- take your femoral head out, I have a set of calipers that are extremely precise to one millimeter. So I'm measuring that and getting an idea, and then that will help me plan it. But, um, yeah, I just love doing both. And, and quite frankly, um, I think I would get bored if I only did knees or if I only did hips. So it's a nice mix. But I really don't want to do anything else other than hips and knees. And that's, that's all I do. Yeah. So, you know, like musicians, 
you know, you have a piano player, usually they can tap in and play the guitar or some other type of instrument. Are there other surgeries you can do? Yeah, I mean, during my training, we, we learn everything, right? We, we learn trauma, so we're fixing ankle fractures, hip fractures. Uh, we're doing arthroscopic stuff like uh, arthroscopic rotator cuff repairs, open rotator cuff repairs. Uh, we do a hand rotation where we're spending several months learning how to do intricate like tendon uh, repairs and carpal tunnel releases and uh, even some more like uh, muscle tendon transfers. Um, we do foot and ankle um, sometimes you can do oncology, like orthopedic oncology. Um, I ended up taking a course as opposed to actually doing the course because I knew that wasn't something I really wanted to do. But the one that I just fell in love with was adult reconstruction, which for the lay people, that means generally you specialize in hip and knee replacements. And um, to me, again, there's so much there because it's not just the first time there's revision surgeries that we have to do. So can I do those other operations? Yes. But I never wanted to be kind of that jack of all trades yeah. uh, that was kind of mediocre at a couple things. Right. I was I was always that specialist that wanted to be like the best at, say, a couple operations. Yep, yep. Uh, I know you have a love for sports. I know uh, back at Mercier's you, um, you were our athletic trainer and, and all that thing and just seeing your basement and you could tell you get Michael Jordan out there and, and all that stuff. You ever think about uh, doing or practicing or medical stuff for like a major sports team you know when i was first coming through um undergrad being a sports med athletic training student that was really my passion that's what i what kind of got me focused on orthopedics is i just love the musculoskeletal system i was an athlete in high school um you know loved you know just being around so many different sports teams in college but um it it became very clear to me when I got into my residency, I still thought I was going to do a sports medicine fellowship and be like a team physician. Mm -hmm. And then the more I started thinking about the impact that that has on your family, because I mean, you know, those athletic trainers and team docs, they're there for practices. The team docs aren't generally there for practices, but the athletic trainers were, and then they're traveling with the teams and things like that. So it's, it's a huge kind of after hours time commitment. Um, and quite frankly, as I got further along into it, uh, the, the athletes are a, a different group to deal with because their expectations are so high. Right. Right. And it's, it almost becomes like a counseling yep. job yep. where you're, yep. all right, you have an ACL tear. We're going to, you're going to be out six to nine months and you're having to deal with the athlete psychologically, which isn't my strength. Right. The, my strength was always kind of like, all right, it's broke. Now it's fixed. It's arthritic. Now it's fixed. Now, you, you, I mean, you're living walking proof of it with a hip replacement. Yep. It's not like it's, you're, I do the surgery and you're you're good right then. It takes months, yeah. right? But there's not a lot of like rehab that goes into it, especially hips when, right. when we're right. not cutting muscles. So um, yeah, when I was young, I would have said absolutely I'd love to be a team physician. When I was um, in medical school, I, I trained, uh, I did two rotations for about three months down in Orlando and I actually worked with the Orlando Magic team physician. Yeah, so. that's awesome. That's cool. Got to meet T Mac, Hito Turgaloo, uh, Drew Gooden, uh, quite a few of those those athletes, and I got to go to a bunch of those games, which was you know awesome. But yeah. it, it just wasn't, I think, fitting with like my family values and what I wanted to right. kind of focus right. on. You know, the one thing I noticed uh, throughout my process of getting my hip replaced was the first time I walked in your practice. What a beautiful place it was! Um, but you know, more than that, just you were probably the first doctor to ever educate me through 
whatever process that I had been going. You know, I had I had knee surgery before. I have I suffer from ulcerative colitis. But you were the first one to actually educate what was going to happen to me, and and that was quite impressive. So, uh, you know, one thing I just wondered as you came back to the area and you wanted to start your own practice, um, what challenges did you face to to get that up and going? Yeah. So. Um Thank you for acknowledging the education piece because yep, yep. um, that that means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you don't know a lot about me personally, but I, I don't come from from a family of people in medicine, like mm-hmm. no one. Um, my dad was a teacher in Meadville for 31 years. I have three older sisters. One went to Mercier's, played basketball there, and um, they're all teachers. My wife's a teacher. Yep. So education is first and foremost. I, I joke with my patients. I say, First and foremost, I'm a teacher, educator. Secondly, I happen to put metal and plastic in people. But um, some of the specific challenges that I had were, you know, um, the fact that every other orthopedic surgeon in this area, in in northwest Pennsylvania, or probably even tri-state area, you know, uh, uh, southwestern New York and northeast Ohio, they're all employed. They're all employed by a hospital system that's uh, probably owned by an insurance company, whether it's UPMC or Highmark. Um, and I am, I'm private, right? So I, I don't have a boss. I, I'm my own boss, which is, you know, how it kind of has to be for me. Just, I'd be a horrible employee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did it for two years and I realized that it wasn't for me. So I think that's a huge, it's kind of like David versus Goliath, yeah. um, which I kind of like that. It's always how I've, I feel like I've always, um, been that, that, you know, coming from Maplewood, it was a small town area. Then I was in Detroit. It was a big metro area. Right. And it was, I was doing my thing there and I was I was building momentum. But it was a little bit like a fish out of water, right? It, I was succeeding, but it just didn't feel like home to me. And when I was able to come back here, it felt much more comfortable in terms of the size, the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Erie as well. Um, but yeah, some of the biggest challenges were going against healthcare systems. And um, fortunately... I don't give up easily and I don't, right, right. I enjoy the battle and the fight. Um, so kind of that um, going up against the big guys right. and, and feeling as though that's a, a Rocky Balboa type story <laughs> yep, yep, helps to absolutely. fuel and motivate me. Absolutely. Yeah. that I go back to that education piece. It, 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 it was one of those things, you know, people tell you, you got to come back at night and listen to a seminar or whatever. And you're like, Oh man, I got to go back and listen to someone for an hour. I'll tell you what, when I walked away from that, that night, that seminar, uh, I just was so impressed and, and, um, you, you just, you, I think that education piece put people, puts people at ease, um, because you, you don't really leave any stone unturned prior to going into the surgery. So I, I, again, I, I commend you for doing that, um, cause it was something that I really, uh, appreciated going into that. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, personally, I guess, um, let me see. I, I think one of the questions, I like quotes. I'm a big quote person. Um, do you have a favorite quote? And obviously, as I was drafting this question, I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't ask me one because I don't memorize quotes. I, I have a couple, uh, but I do love quotes. I have them all over my office, all over our house. Um do you have a favorite quote? I, I'm the same way. I'm not going to be able to like memorize. <laughs> yeah. There's two that I can tell you right now, though. Um, I used them this week when I, I had the opportunity to speak at Mercyhurst. They nice. had a wellness week, and I was yep. their keynote speaker. So the two quotes that I really loved, one was John Wooden. And um, 
I, I'm, I'm the same. They're so inspirational. They're around my office. They're around my house. But it's show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one is very, very similar to that. It's Jim Rohn. Um, he, uh, how does his go? He goes, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most amount of time with. Right. And I think they're very synonymous with one another. Right. It's like you are kind of a, a creature of your environment. Yep. And it's funny because just a couple nights ago, Anthony, my oldest son and I, we were grabbing some wings at Otis 12 and it was nice because it was just him and I, and, um, I was just talking to him and he was actually going to come to my speech at Mercier's and he's like, well, what's your talk about? And I was just talking about, you know, my journey and, and this and that. And I can't remember how it came up, but, um, I just asked him, what do you think? Uh, think the keys to you becoming successful someday are and, and i was just like asking him, what do you want to do with your life someday right. and he said well i think i should probably surround myself with good people i'm like amen buddy yeah. uh and and i share both of those quotes with him and you know i i truly believe that i think that um like-minded people kind of are gravitating towards one another and and if you really want to become successful and and a good human being you're going to surround yourself with other successful good human beings and it's going to become more natural for you yeah that's spot on our, our high school coach used to preach that to us all the time surround yourself with good people marcel he used, yep he used to tell us all the time uh you know um that and he he used to always say good things happen to good people so he kind of put the two and two together if you surround yourself with good people you know good things are going to happen to good people so absolutely uh, I, I, I i like those quotes um tattoos you know, I, I, I kind of cheated. You sent me the questions, <laughs> yeah. and I, I briefly skimmed through them, but I was like, I'm not, I don't want to read them, and I saw a tattoo. So I got my first tattoo when I was at Mercyhurst. Uh, I was a freshman. Um, you got to remember, I I went to, um, my I didn't go to Catholic school, uh, but my parents were, were very, very strictly religious, right. yeah. and tattoos were forbidden, right? So my first summer at Mercyhurst, I worked at Waldemir as a lifeguard. And I ended up getting a, a cross, a Celtic cross tattoo on my right shoulder. And I hid it from my parents for a year and a half until one of my like family members, friends saw me at, yeah. at Waldemir and I'm like, the gig's up. So I had to come <laughs> home and like break the news to my mom. And I, I was petrified. Yeah. I mean, I'm a freshman in college and yeah. I'm still scared to death yeah. that my parents are going to disown me and they're not going to help me with school anymore. Right. Uh, they were very understanding. And since then it's grown. Um, I, I had some, I had the boys' names, all three of the boys' names put under the, the cross. I had our family name put up top. The uh, Celtic knot is up above that. And then I had some filigree, just some design work put around it. And then when I was in medical school, I got a, a tattoo on my left shoulder that is, um, it's the symbol for orthopedic surgery. So yep. Jay, if you could maybe put that right here. Um, it's essentially a, a crooked tree that has a staff and a rope tied around it. Um, it's like funny. Everything in my life is trees, right? I've got this tree. Yeah. My my whole health logo is a tree. The symbol for orthopedic surgery is a, a tree. And the reason that that symbol is so symbolic for orthopedic surgery is when orthopedic surgery first started out, it was mainly pediatrics, right? So you, you had these kids with hugely deformed spines from scoliosis. Mm-hmm. And they would brace them to try to straighten it. Just like if you had a crooked tree, if you tie a stake to it, the tree is going to find its way to, to grow straight. Um, if you can support it. So that's there. And, and then underneath that is the Hippocratic Oath, which is primum non nocere, which just means it's Latin for do no harm. So um, I think about that every day when I'm when I'm taking someone to surgery is um, 
I'm never, again, not perfect. I'm not ensuring that it's going to be a perfect outcome, but I will never, ever do anything or recommend anything for any of my patients that I wouldn't recommend for my mom or my dad. Good so stuff. how about you? That's good. I know stuff. it's not my turn to ask questions. Yeah, any yeah, tattoos? That, that's all right. Yeah, I got a bunch. Uh, I, I didn't start early, though. I, I, I waited a while. Uh, my first one was m- my mom passed away from cancer in 2013. So got the cancer ribbon with uh, strength, courage, and love. Uh, and then her name script through it. Uh, and then that started the whole <laughs> tattoo uh, trend. So I have nine. I got wow. a bunch. Uh, most of them are quotes. I got a Bob Marley quote. Um, There's a new movie coming out, right? There is a new movie coming out about I, Bob my, Marley. My, yeah. my boys told me about it. Yeah, it, I have a, I have the flag, kind of his flag with a quote on the on my back about uh, in this bright future you can't forget your past. Um, Love it. I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. Same. So I got a bunch of Dave Matthews uh, quotes. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to a lot of concerts. So I've been. To, uh, I think I'm up to 107. Oh. I thought I went to a yeah. lot. I was like between 12 and 15. 107. <laughs> well, you got me crushed. Yeah. yeah. So never was a fan. I went once in college. Uh, someone got me to go. And ever since that, I was hooked. And We, we should go sometime. I know we should go. For sure. Great Maybe time. this summer. Yep. Dave concerts and uh, the friendliness of the people, the atmosphere. Uh, good times. Yeah. So you're yeah. not going to get any of that fighting or any of that none kind of, of stuff that, at a Dave concert. Everyone's uh, there for a good time. And. A lot of happiness, a lot of peace, which is which is what what we need, right? Exactly. But yeah, so I got a bunch of tattoos. So. You have any sleeves or anything like that? No or? sleeves. Um, my most recent one, I was debating on my forearm because I don't have any on the forearm. Uh, I ended up going with my other calf. I have one on this calf, this one, and it's uh, there's a quote, but it's just about peace, love, and music. Because uh, big music fan. Yeah. Um, and then I think peace and love is what our world needs a lot. So, Amen, buddy. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Karen is actually trying to convince me for a couple of years now to do not a full sleeve, but like a partial sleeve incorporating this. And I'm a big, quote, word guy. Yep. So I, I'm. it's got to be right, though. It's got to be meaningful. Um, again, I love trees. So I envision the, the tree, but also like a root system and maybe some very meaningful words like... Right courage and grit and perseverance and determination and um, all that kind of stuff in the the roots themselves yeah, so that'd be slick yeah it's gonna be a long big process though and and for me all my tattoos have had a lot of meaning which sounds like you it's not like you just get a whim and you, you get a tattoo so I, it's got to be the right time the right artist absolutely and that kind of stuff yep. and actually the my uh, quote from this one's from Dave uh, the song best of what's around just about it's not uh, about where you're at, but the people you're with that matters, and uh, kind of goes back to your quote that you were talking about a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my third question. Let me see what was my third question here. Oh, so I'm in a job that's quite stressful, and I, I know you're probably in a your uh, job is quite stressful. What do you do to relieve stress? Do you have any activities that you do other than probably uh, your your kids' stuff and sports and things like that? Do you have any like personally by yourself that you do to relieve stress? So one of the the blessings that I have that many people may not consider it a blessing is the fact that I have a commute every day, mm-hmm. right? So you went down to Edgewood, you know, yeah, it's not, yeah. it's about an hour for me, about an hour and five minutes on a good day. I'd say hour and 15 minutes on an average day. Mm-hmm. So two and a half hours per day, I'm in the car by myself, which is awesome. I was never the guy that could have a five minute commute uh, or want one. So 
Um, I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of audiobooks, inspirational type stuff, um, wellness stuff. Um, I try to stay in shape. Like this morning, I went for a nice six, I call it my six mile Sundays, went for a nice six mile walk down at, at Presque Isle. And a lot of this stuff is just me, right? Yep. Um, I, I don't go with anybody. Um, I generally don't even listen to any music today. I just had some earbuds in with as weird as this may sound, but just like some spa music in the background. It was just kind of very like no words because I didn't want it to distract Absolutely. me. And, um, you know, I, I try to meditate relatively frequently, not as much as I'd like to, but um, we are getting a, a sauna. My, my wife and I, we just ordered a sauna. So that's going to kind of become my evening ritual to help get better sleep. Um, the cardiovascular benefits of saunas too, I didn't even realize they're through the roof. If you do a sauna four days a week for 20 minutes at 175 degrees, um, the chances of heart attack, stroke, all these really bad cardiovascular complications and and diseases are like 80% reduced. Wow. It's it's pretty amazing. Just And they it's almost like equivalent to going and doing like a, a cardiovascular workout because your heart rate gets up, you sweat. So, uh, but it also helps you sleep. You take a cold shower after that and you sleep like a baby. So looking forward to that. So my, my father purchased a, a sauna for his basement, I think about a year ago. I've used it a couple of times and I love it. So I've been looking in the last year of purchasing one. So I read, I've read some things about how great they are. Did you hear some of the, or read some of those similar yeah, things? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> You just feel so much better. Yeah. You just feel so much better when you go in and, and come out of them. I would do like massages. I've gotten out of that routine, but for years, um, up until just a couple months ago, I was getting a massage every two weeks uh, just because I hold a lot of tension in my neck from my right. day job, like yeah. leaning over, I wear a helmet. Um, and I mean, you're, you're putting your body in awkward positions, like your hip, you know, I'm turning my head and, you know, tweaking my neck and, and things like that. But um, I'm all about like, wellness and self-care because again if i'm not good if you're not good you're not going to be good for your wife your daughters your the people that need you at work right on right so. on what's better uh sauna or uh ice bath <laughs> yeah, well, what feels better probably the sauna <laughs> yeah. i haven't done an official ice bath i do do cold showers yep. like in the mornings and when i get the sauna i'll probably do a cold shower right before i go to bed just to kind of like balance those yeah, two things yeah, out yeah. have you done either i mean you've done the sauna but sauna i haven't done the ice bath since college when when we the used to be in that little training room <laughs> and uh jump in that little tub of uh ice and freezing water and uh once you get in it it, it was actually amazing when you came out how, how great you felt but um yeah the anti-inflammatory properties of ice are, are just phenomenal and right um i mean that's like the big craze right now too is just ice baths yeah, over yeah, the past couple yeah, years yeah yeah, um, we, we can turn the tables now, right? Yeah, I think I I, I, I could ask questions all day. <laughs> well, we can keep going that way, but pro professionally, right? So you were at Mercyhurst. You were yep. a um, elementary ed, special ed major. Yep. What was your inspiration for that? Did you have somebody in your family that was a teacher or especially that? Like, why, why special ed? Yeah, no, I, I nobody in the family really inspired me to go into education. Uh, you know, if a lot of people don't know uh, my father and mother neither of them were college graduates um so i i, I was raised by two people who uh, worked hard uh, to give us everything that we needed myself and my brother um, but neither of them graduated from college so 
I think my love for teaching came from playing sports uh, and working basketball camps when I was in high school um, because I got a chance to kind of give back to what someone gave me. And and when I say that, my coaches, my teachers, uh, all my teachers and all my coaches, uh, everything that they gave me to be successful in life, uh, that kind of hit home to me when I got to college that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be that person to give somebody a chance to uh, motivate somebody to do great things in this world. So uh, really nobody in the family, but just playing sports, being a leader on teams, things like that. Uh, But really my coaches and my teachers inspired me to do the same thing that they did for me. The, the uh, special education piece, I mean, that's pretty special to me, my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you guys were chatting a little bit out there. Yep. She has her autism spectrum disorder kind of masters. Um, I don't know if you were able to pick up on it, but um, her sister who was down here in the basement with mm-hmm. my youngest son, Luca, she's um, cognitively impaired too. Okay. So that was, I think, Karen's kind of motivation and you know why her heart is really into special ed. And she loves working with with children with special needs, especially autistic children. Um, was there something that drew you to that? Uh, not necessarily one thing, but I will tell you a story. When I was uh, in high school playing at prep, uh, you know, as a player, we would come back every year and, and work the basketball camps for, you know, your your third, fourth, fifth graders and things like that. We were camp counselors. And at the time, uh, one, one summer in particular, there was a, a young boy, uh, his I remember his name. His name was Phil, and he attended basketball camp every year, and he uh, he had one arm. Um, so he, I, I don't know if it was right or left, but he had one arm, and I remember him just working so hard, and he did not let that arm, uh, you know, ruin his experience or uh, take away from you know, the typical peers around him doing things that maybe he couldn't do. He never got down, never was sad, um, never, you know, did not try. Uh, and, and that little piece stuck with me for a little bit. And um, I still talk about him with some of my buddies that worked the camp with me. Uh, I don't want to say that motivated me to be a special education teacher, but I, I, did, I have always remembered him. Um, so he must have impacted me somewhat. And my love to help kids with disabilities, um, that's my passion. That, that's why I got into uh, special education. Um, I taught special education for 15 years, and then now I'm director of special education. I'm in my seventh year. And uh, still, I think those kids with disabilities in this world, you know, kids with autism, intellectually dis- disabled, uh, things like that, they need they need people they need help they need advocates um and and that's kind of what motivates me each day to help those type of children that's awesome i have a um, one of my three sisters that's teachers uh, is a teacher she uh teaches reading recovery and and she was a special ed teacher as well and then the other one Kristen, who played at, at mercyhurst yep. you guys would have overlapped a couple years she there. older than me uh, she was a little bit older. She yeah. was 94 to 98. Yep, so when I, yep, I remember her. She was, she was good. Yeah, she was a good <laughs> she shooter. She was a good player, yep. yep. But uh, she played with Teresa Zumagala. Yes. Like her, her freshman year at Mercer's, they ended up going to the Elite Eight. Far, yeah. yeah, they had a really good team. But um, she was a special ed, um, 
teacher as well and, and, and graduate from, from Mercer's. But, um, what's your, cause to me, to be a, not only a teacher, but a special education specialist, somebody that that's your heart, your soul, your passion, right. as you mentioned, I have a word that I would say, um, would be your, the quality that would, would, would probably bring you the furthest. Um, in my opinion, it would be patience. <laughs> It'd be very <laughs> difficult to not have that, but what, would you consider your professional superpower? Like what makes Keith Neese so good and so unique at what you do with that? Yeah, I, th- I think um, obviously people in special education, it, you automatically point to somebody with a good heart, uh, someone that's caring, understanding, uh, someone that's willing to listen. And then obviously, I think in the classroom, you need patience. Obviously, I'm not in the classroom anymore. Uh, so I, I think... You know, what makes me uh, good at my job would be uh, I understand. I, you know, I, I try to put myself when I'm in meetings, which I am in several meetings a day with parents, I try to put myself in, in those parents' shoes, uh, just like that child or their child was my own child. And uh, because of that, uh, I, I tend to be a really good listener and 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 very good at understanding or trying to understand. I'll never fully understand what they're experiencing, but I I try to uh, understand, um, you know, why they're saying things or why they want things that they, they, they want for their child and things like that. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I try to be a team player and be on their side and, and, and advocate for those kids. Uh, because, you know, who 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 else is going to advocate for them other than their parents? Right. Um, and and you know, they already are having, or they're already dealt uh, uh, a bad hand, as you, as you may say, and um, or someone may say. I don't necessarily think uh, always that kid with autism has dealt been dealt a bad hand because that's them. Yeah. That they're unique and. Um, I've seen so many kids, whether it's uh, kids with autism or, again, someone that's uh, Down syndrome, um, they have taught me so many things um, that uh, the world around us, uh, they they don't give these kids a chance sometimes. And so I guess my superpower would be, you know, I have a really good heart and I I just try to be understanding and um, be a listener to, to those parents. So when I was at Mercyhurst, I did, uh, I volunteered for Special Olympics yeah. a couple years and some of the most powerful experiences that I ever had. And um, I don't know what it is. Uh, I feel as though, especially children with Down syndrome, I'm like a Down syndrome magnet. <laughs> like they, they gravitate towards me and I kind of gravitate towards them. And I really hit it off with several of these kids. And secondly, there's an organization, uh, there's several organizations. I know that Karen was was speaking with you about her cousin, who heads up special education mm-hmm. up in the Metro Detroit area, her school district. Um, but there's an organization that um, Jay, who who helps out at these podcasts, kind of introduced me to where children, they, they don't call them disabilities. They call them unique abilities, mm-hmm. right? Because I truly believe that. They're, especially children with autism, they have a different way of looking at the world. And we may... Uh, people that don't have or aren't on the spectrum, which I think we all kind of are to some degree, but um, they, they have their own superpowers, 
right? And they have taken these children who are now young adults and put them into the workforce successfully, Mm -hmm. mainly with like manufacturing and one in particular, Jay, um, I I apologize if I I, um, butcher this, but there was two kids in general, and I can't remember if it was Accutech or or what company it was in Meadville that hired uh, two children with, or, or young adults with these unique abilities. I believe they were both autistic, um, that they were like their quality control. And previously, you know, they would do a lot of manufacturing, the parts would come out and people would inspect it. And inevitably some of them would have to be scrapped because there was errors or this or that. They never had one one part that ever got scrapped because mm-hmm. these kids were so detail oriented, they would pick things up before it got too far along the process of engineering and, and manufacturing where they could salvage it. And they saved that company tremendous amounts of, of money. So my goal, my mission is to find uh, another individual with a unique ability that I could hire either at whole health or at Edgewood surgical hospital to give them an opportunity because I think there are, definitely particular positions that they would just thrive at and, and do much better than somebody without unique abilities. Uh, yeah, I, that, that, that's spot on. You know, one of the things uh, seven years ago when I got the position of director of special education, one, one of my goals was to create programs within our district uh, to just give these children more opportunities um, in our district, but also after they graduate yeah. uh, in the real world. So, you know, we've created some programs at our high school. We have a partnership club uh, where, you know, your your kids, your typical peers get together with our kids with uh, disabilities. They do various activities with them, which, which has been great. Uh, we have some of our boys basketball players, some of our girls basketball players participate in that. Uh, unified sports has been a big one in our district. They, they really never participated now we do track. Uh, we have a bocce team, um, and then and we have a strong program in our in our life skills high school room where uh, we have partnered with about seventeen businesses in the area. Oh wow! So our kids are going out each day and, and uh, trying to just develop some of those uh, interpersonal skills, some of those job type skills, uh, so they can be employable someday. So that was one of my goals to to kind of. You know, what What can I do to give these kids opportunities so once they leave Fairview, they can they can have a chance and be successful? Yeah, I mean, because else. they want to contribute, right? Absolutely. And I just feel like a lot of times they're not given that opportunity and people are just not willing to think outside the box. I agree. And, and sometimes that, that's what it, what it takes. And uh, I always think, you know, somebody gave me a chance. Uh, obviously, that was in sports or, you know, being a teacher and things like that. Um, these kids need a chance too. So. Amen. So that's a great segue to some personal stuff. So sports, right? You're, you're, I'm sure you're still a sports fan, but you were a heck of an athlete, particularly a, a really, really good basketball player. You played on some good teams. Yeah, you know, we had, cathedral uh, prep. Good memories. Good, good, good teammates. Good coaches. Uh, yeah, those were um, some of the best days of my life. From ninety, what ninety. Three to ninety six, ninety two to ninety six. There, um, yeah, we. I had a lot of good teammates. Um, Walk yeah. us through that. So, you played all four years at, at prep, right? Yep. When did you first kind of break your way into that like rotation? Were you 
freshman, sophomore? Yep. So I, I, I'll take it back a little further. When I was, um, I went to St. John's grade school who, okay. um, in the area. It's no longer around, but St. John's uh, was known for uh, developing basketball players and their basketball teams. I think we have, you know, 10 to 15 state championships at St. John's. Wow. I never won one, but, um, you know, so basketball was the, you know, the work ethic you had to, had to have, um, but the success of being a basketball player, I think that started back in, in, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And then my brother was at prep before me. Never, I think he played basketball maybe freshman and sophomore year. Uh, he always tells the story that Marcel, um, Marcel was our coach, yeah. was more concerned about me when I was in seventh and eighth grade than he was my brother at the time who was who was at prep. Uh, but I remember in in seventh grade, obviously going to sixth, seventh, fifth, sixth, seventh, going to the prep camps, um, and wanting to be a basketball player at, at Cathedral Prep, and then. Uh, in seventh grade, I, I, I got hurt, I got injured, and I got a basketball signed by all the, the players on the prep team at that time, which would have been like... Like Jed Ryan? No, Jed played with me. So it would have been 1990, you would have had, um, trying to think, like uh, Todd Filkowski, Jim Hamilton, okay, who was um, went on to play at Navy, um, kids like that. So... Uh, Coming into ninth grade, they, they put me on the varsity team. Um, we, we ended up winning the state championship that year. Didn't play much, uh, and it was always the debate. Should I have played on the JV team where I was playing in the games all the time, or should I have played on varsity and, and I sat the bench most of the year? Um, but I, you're, you're going to varsity practices, right? And you're Correct. Yeah. And, and so when I look back on that, because – you know, as I got in the coach, and that was always the debate: if you're going to move kids up, should they play? Does it matter if you move them up? And they, you know, I will, I will, I, I, I think this all the time. You know, practicing every day against bigger, better, stronger, older players made me uh, what I was my sophomore, junior, and senior year at prep. So, um, sat where, the, where was Jed? Yep, Jed like, was a year ahead of me. Okay. He was a sophomore that year. Got it. Yep, so my freshman year, Jed was a sophomore. Um, won the state that year, didn't play much. And then sophomore year uh, is when I started seeing the court. And I think about 10 games into the season, maybe five to 10 games in, that's when I started. I became, As a know, sophomore. Yep, I was coming off, coming off the bench probably for the first five games. And I think I got my chance down in Florida. We were playing in a tournament in Florida. And uh, got my first start, and then the next three years I started. And uh, what was it? What what that coach uh, Marcelo Araby saw in you that not from the get go, but five or six games into the season, what was it? When you got in there, was there a spark? Was there what was it? Yeah, I think um, number one, I I was coachable. Um, I would always do whatever the coach asked me to do. Um, and then uh, to this day, I always tell people I wasn't probably the most talented person, the most athletic, but I played hard. You sure uh, did. I played hard. I was tough. I didn't back down from competition, stuck my nose in there all the time. I think, you know, those qualities is probably what got me on the court and then what kept me on the court. 
And then as I got older, you know, uh, my skill level got better. I got stronger. I got bigger and things like that. Um, but I think to this day, I was successful in high school basketball, especially against the competition we played against that prep, uh, because I was I was I played hard and I was tough and I didn't back away. From you were gritty. Yeah, that's a good. I, word. I followed you. I mean, that's I was I was a year behind you, and yeah. it's weird to say that. I, but I I mean, I went to a, a at the time double A school. Right? Yeah. It was the same size as Fairview, yep. um, but I, I was always I grew up in a basketball family, so I was always going to games and watching you guys and uh i mean we were what would this podcast be if we didn't mention your your senior year yeah senior year was um going into our senior year because you know sophomore year we went back to the state final and lost and then our junior year who i thought was maybe one of the best teams in my four years at prep we end up losing in the uh, western final to ringold um and we had the game won and uh they made a three-quarter court shot to put it into overtime, and then they beat us in overtime. Oh, my yep. gosh. And then uh, going into our senior year, you know, our senior year was special because, you know, my my previous three years, we had names like Jed Ryan who went on the pen, Booker Coleman who went on to Wisconsin and played. We just said we had some bigger names. Uh, and, and going into our senior year, those, those people were gone. So... Um, now we had to rely on ourselves, number one. And then we were just, you know, six, seven, eight kids from just the, the Catholic schools in the area. Because Booker came from Jamestown. Jed was from Albion. Uh, now our senior year, it was just our local, you know, your Catholic school kids that went to Catholic school grade school. So you've been playing together for yeah. a while. And, and um, I don't think anyone was really giving us a chance. You know, we would be good, but we lost the big names. They're not going to be great. Uh we, however, we did have a, a, a sophomore coming up that year, Julian Blanks, who went on to play LaSalle, who's one of my best friends. And, um, you know, so not too many people kind of knew about him or what impact he would have on our team. Uh, I remember, I remember this clear to clear as day. We were leaving an open gym in the fall, probably a couple of weeks before the season was starting. And, uh, me and a couple of our my senior teammates were walking to our car, and um, we we kind of just stopped and we talked and said, you know, no one's expecting big things from us this year. And now we're seniors; it's it's our chance to to prove everybody wrong. And um, I think that's what made made the year so special uh, because not a lot of people expected big things, and we ended up John Trokey, John Trokey, yeah. yeah, yeah, Brian Chesikowski, yeah, uh, R.J. Fiorelli, who was a year below me. Um, we just were all so close, uh, similar type. We're Graham all, Weatherspoon was in there, right? Was he, was there. he was a year below you, right? Yeah, he was yeah. my year. Um, we just, you know, we wanted to prove people wrong. We ended up making it to the state championship. And uh, Who'd you play against? Played against Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what an amazing experience. And uh, at that time, <laughs> you didn't think like you were playing against Kobe Bryant. You didn't, obviously didn't know what right. was going to go on. Uh, you knew he was good. Uh, he was that's the the guy you heard about in Pennsylvania and then na on a national level too all year. But uh, you know we played against guys like um, you know throughout our career we played against Ron Artest. We were in a tournament with Mike Bibby, uh, Tim Thomas who who played uh, at Villanova and went in, in onto the pros, uh, Sam Clancy who who played collegiately. Uh, 
Shaheen Holloway, who's now a coach at Seton Hall. Uh, we played against him. So we played against a bunch of big names. So playing against Kobe was just another game for us. Uh, and and it, obviously it was a big game that we wanted to win, and we fell short uh, to this day. I still think, uh, I always say this, um, we had a chance to win that game, and, and I'm not so sure they, they were the better team that day. Uh, obviously they won, but um, we weren't overmatched. Yeah. Yeah, my family, we used to go to Hershey all the time. Mm -hmm. That was our, our family trip, and uh, that was one of the years I did not actually physically make it. I watched the game on TV, but one of my best friends at uh, LeeCom, when I was in med school, he played against Kobe the same year you played against He was from Scranton, okay. so he played against him in the Eastern Conference Finals right. before yep. Hershey. Yep. Yep. And then and he showed me videos. He's like, yeah, see, I'm guarding Kobe. I'm guarding Kobe. I'm like... <laughs> And I'm like, all right, let's watch this. Kobe just, he was a, like a man amongst boys against that team. And was, I think he had probably seven or eight dunks. And, but um, what, what a, like you said, you didn't know at that time what was going to happen or who he was going to become. Yep. I mean, easily one of the top five, if not, some people would say top 10 for sure. I'd put him in my top five, especially competitors. Other than Jordan, I don't think there's one guy that I could say that was a, more competitive than Kobe Bryant, and he closely replicated his game after Jordan. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that. Uh, Kobe was, uh, um, Michael Jordan to me is the GOAT, uh, but Kobe was someone when I coached, I would always use him as an example to my players uh, because of his work ethic. Mm -hmm. uh, his work ethic was second to none. Uh, the stories you read about him, uh, you know, in the gym at five in the morning, um, in the gym four or five times a day. Just the things he did to prepare uh, was was on a whole nother level. But when he got on the court, the way he competed uh, was amazing. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see anyone compete like he did um, in wanting to be the best and to prove that he was the best. Uh, not just for a season, but he did that every game for 82 games yeah. uh, in, in, in a season. Um, he was special. Kobe became, I remember sitting <clears throat> on the floor outside the locker room after they beat us in the state final and uh, quoting that I didn't think he was that great and why was he going to go to the NBA and things like that. And, um, obviously, he proved me wrong, but he became one of my favorites to follow and watch. And uh, I just, the other day, I bought a, a poster um, off the internet to hang in my basement. Uh, him, him leaning over his jersey and the quote just about working hard and persevering and things like that. So there was a special that I saw where you went out. I think it was his was it his last time in Cleveland. Yes. Yep. And it, there was a special on the, like the local news stations, Kobe and Keith. Yep. Right. And I I don't I'd have to watch that again and maybe Jay if you could put a little excerpt of that in here I think that'd be very cool. But what was that like? And did he did he remember you? And um, how did that interaction go? What an amazing experience. So I, I have to give a lot of uh, thanks to Mike Gallagher. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Gallagher is the one who set that up. Um, and, you know, Mike was a, a, a local sports guy mm -hmm. here, a news anchor uh, for a while. And uh, he did great things for local sports. Um, and then he called me up and said he wanted to, to do this special. So he's the one that set all that up. And I remember 
being kind of anxious, a little, little nervous to to meet Kobe, but so excited for for the experience. What and year was this, too? This would have been, I was I was coaching still. Let me see, sixteen ish. No, before that, I want to say like two thousand thirteen. Okay, twelve. I forget right? like when he, when he officially retired, retired but. So this was his tour where, uh, you know, it was his last game at a lot of NBA arenas. So this happened to be his last one at playing the Cavs in Cleveland and um, drove up there. And uh, we got into his uh, press conference before the game. And uh, Mike Gallagher's in there. All these reporters are in there. And I'm, I'm the only person that's not a reporter. I'm sitting there in the back kind of hiding in the corner and, here comes Kobe in this nice black suit, uh, looking classy as he always did, and sits down. People start asking him questions, and Mike Gallagher asks him a question, um, something about the, his return to Cleveland, but then talked about uh, the state championship game. Mike asked him a question to prompt that that game, and uh, as Kobe's answering, uh, Mike says, uh, would you be shocked or surprised if one of those – players that played against you is sitting in this room and uh he kind of looked over and and i was sitting right there and he says oh i remember him don't know if he did or not but he made me feel good <laughs> uh, like, he was that scrappy point yeah, guard <laughs> yeah. and then he did follow up after he had uh, said that he he followed up and said um you know what an experience it was being up in hershey and and what a great experience and and he, he gave us compliments that we were a good team and things like that um so that was the the before the game. I didn't realize they did press conferences before the game. Yeah, too. I didn't either, and uh, it, that was quite the experience. Um, then got the you know during warmups right there, right on the court, right behind the hoop. Got to watch him play. Mike Mike did some uh, video shooting there. Got to watch the game, and then after the game is when I I got to meet up with him, and we waited outside the locker room, which was a cool experience because. You got to see other players. LeBron walked through. And, oh wow! And uh, things like that. And um, Kobe finally comes out, and uh, Mike Gallagher had a prep sweatshirt for me to give him. Uh, so I gave him a sweatshirt and shook his hand and uh, got to ask him a couple questions. And um, what a what a neat experience. Uh, however, the one thing he had these yellow sneakers wrapped around his like shoulder that he wore them that night. And I'm thinking, oh man, maybe he'll give me these, <laughs> these, these, these great, these nice yellow Nikes that he wore. Um, and I found out after he had talked with me, he met, went and met with LeBron and he gave him to LeBron because that was his last game playing against yeah. in Cleveland. So, uh, what a great experience. I'll never, never forget that. Yeah. I mean, he is, um, one of the all time greats and obviously, um, tragic. You know, yeah. far, far too early. Him and his daughter, just a sad, sad story. You know, it was four years just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I remember um, the news did a piece on that when he had passed away. They came to my house and did a little interview with me. And, uh, you know, when he when he passed away, it felt like a family member died. Uh, you know, I, I I remember feeling like I just felt lost. That I, I, you know, he's gone. Can't, can't believe it um, because I, you know, I think he was going to do so much for basketball. He did so much as a player. I think that was just the start of what he was yeah. going to do. Uh, he was, he was writing books and, like and yeah. 
forming that academy. And uh, yeah, I just felt like he had so much more to offer. And his his career was as amazing as it was. I feel like he was on the cusp of doing as many great things post retirement as he did while playing. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously I have two daughters and him having the daughters. And I think what he was going to do for women's basketball uh, was going to be amazing, too. So, yeah, he'll. Surely be missed, but uh, some very cool tributes that were done. I don't know if you, I'm sure you probably did watch kind of like the, I wouldn't call it the funeral, but when, you know, his, his wife came out and spoke and, you know, all the greats came out and spoke, whether it was Jordan or Shaq or, you know, it was funny because, you know, him and Shaq had their little beef, yes. but at the end of the day, they were able to put that all aside. And, um, you know, it was just heartwarming hearing a lot of those stories. And it was. And people's memories of him, because again, I think the biggest thing is you, you kind of mentioned is you just like, you weren't going to find somebody that worked harder than him or, um, yeah, he had some unbelievable natural abilities and talents, but, um, there's a lot of guys like that in the NBA. It it, it was his killer instinct, that mama mentality that really set him apart, you know, from everybody else. But, um, you, I mean, you're married, you have two young daughters. What do you like to do? with with your wife and girls when you're you know in the summertime do you have any like family traditions that you guys do yeah so we um we put in a put in a pool a did few, you really a few years back at our house so we like to enjoy um you know obviously hanging out at the pool swimming in the pool uh another big summer thing is we like to uh to sit around the campfire listen to music and um, some dave yeah some dave uh <laughs> just enjoy each other's company and, 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 you know, talk, talk about life and uh, have friends over, have neighbors over, you know, my girl's friends come over, um, you know, kind of before you know it, you got 20 people there and started out as two, but you know, we just, you know, nothing big. Um, a trip. Are you homebody? Yeah. Trip here and there. We, my wife and I really love concerts. Um, whether it's uh, obviously Dave Matthews, but we we like some country concerts as well. Um, so anytime we can listen to live music, whether that's a big name country concert, uh, Dave Matthews, or even just like a, at a local, uh, you know, restaurant. Um, so that's kind of a nice summer activity. Obviously, with the kids playing sports, um, watching them play. Is, what do your daughters play? So my youngest Ivy. She is into basketball, softball, soccer, and then my oldest Ava is into um, softball and basketball. And she likes right now. She's in the school play and things like that. So, Very cool. Um, I always tell them I don't. I don't care what you do. Uh, do something though. Yeah. <laughs> be a part of a team. Be a part of something where you're gonna get coached uh, and told what to do, other than uh, just the classroom. So. They stay busy, and, and I really enjoy uh, sitting down and just enjoy watching them do whatever they Do you coach doing. them at all, or are you more of a spectator? <laughs> uh, I'm asked to coach just about every year, and I always say no. I think I coached my oldest daughter maybe three years ago in just one like spring tournament, which was great. It was a great experience. But um, I'm a big believer that they need to be coached by other people. Um, and they need to hear different perspectives other than dad's perspective. Uh, and they um, need to experience other people's voices, other people's expectations and things like that. 
and I, and you know, selfishly, I just want to watch. I just want to sit there. Um, don't I don't say much during the games. I don't even say much to them after the game. I just like to watch. And uh, one thing I do always say to them is, "Did you have fun?" Um, sometimes I think that's that gets lost. Yeah. Um, and coming from such a competitive guy, right? You, I think outsiders would look at you as like this guy that won a state championship, came second place two different twice. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And played collegiate basketball too. It's like you would think that you'd be that guy that's just like pushing, pushing, pushing. But I, I love hearing the fact that you just kind of sit back. Yep. And, I don't say much. I even give my wife a little elbow here and there because she'll start cheering or saying things. And I'm like, just be quiet. And uh, I don't say much. And, um, you know, every once in a while after the game, I might say, hey, I just want to tell you one thing. But I, I try not to uh, because. You know, likely they're probably not going on to get Division One scholarships. Yeah, and, uh, they need to. Uh, I think sports is a great metaphor about life. It can teach you a lot about what you're going to experience in life, and uh, I think that's why kids should play it. Yeah, and that's what I want my girls to get out of sports. And um, yeah, adversity, right? Things aren't always going to go your way, and that's probably the biggest thing. So right now, I'm coaching. I have three boys. I'm coaching three basketball teams right now, and I think I'm about done. <laughs> my one team, well, the two teams I coach for my middle son, very successful season. They're both both teams are seven and zero. Um, but I, I, I'm too intense. I'm too I'm too competitive, and I don't know how to turn that off when I'm coaching. When I'm just going and watching them say play baseball or this or that, um, it's a much more relaxed feel and. I don't get as anxious or because when I was playing, I was the same way. I was kind of like, I was anxious and, and, but it was like a good anxious mm-hmm. and they, they kind of had that too. And I'm just like, is it make it worse? Cause I'm there doing it. And I think it's about time for me to just kind of step back and, and just watch more. It's tough. I I'm sure, you know, neither one of them ever came up to me and said, would you coach my team? If they did, I, I, I probably would do it. Um, however, I do know, my 15 years of coaching high school, just the type of coach I, I demanded a lot. I expected a lot. Uh, I was intense too. Um, I'm not sure how they would react to that, that side of me. And I kind of want to maybe leave that side away from. from Do you miss that at Uh, all? I miss, uh, I miss the relationship I had with my players. Um, the, just the daily, uh, you know, more so the daily trying to get players to improve, helping players learn about life and things like that. I just miss that relationship. And then selfishly, I miss some of the competitive pieces of coaching, uh, but the day-to-day grind, um, and it, it just never ends. And, and I, I always say this about coaching, you're rarely happy. Yeah. Uh, you're rarely happy because you, you could – I had some very successful teams – uh, at Fairview and no matter how well you were doing one player wasn't you know you could have 20 players doing everything right but one player doing something wrong or one player not uh, you know getting the ball enough or, or you know uh, even when you won then you're on to the next game so it was really hard to enjoy yeah you can't really just like it may be for a couple hours after the game right. But it, then it becomes preparation, right? Well, we're playing this team next yeah. Tuesday, yeah. and you got to start watching film and this and that. And I never coached that level, but I just can only imagine, like, just talking with Jordan Fee, 
right? And um, I, I've said to him, I was like, well, hey, we got to grab dinner sometime. And he's like, yeah. So I do a lot of scouting, scouting, you know, during the week and this and that. And I'm like, man, that'd be such a demanding job, right? And he's newly married. Yeah, and I, here's the thing, like, that's how I felt as a high school coach when you're doing college and that's your living. That's how you get paid. Correct. <laughs> and if you don't do well, you got a chance of someone saying, see you later, that that's pressure. Yeah. Uh, that, that would be, that would be tough. But, um, I do miss the competitive part. I, I miss the relationships I, I had with, with the players. Um, but <laughs> I was very, very rarely happy. Um, holidays cause you know, basketball is all, always over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, very hard to enjoy Christmas ever. Just you can't unplug. Yeah, right? you can't unplug. And then the one thing towards the end of my coaching career, I always uh, I started telling people was that feeling as a player you got before games, that anxiousness, like you loved that feeling. Well, I was getting that as a coach, and then towards the end, I hated that feeling. You know, I would wake up, you know, it's five in the morning. Uh, going to go to school and teach and have a big game that night and I had that feeling all day and that feeling I used to love I started to hate I think the difference there to at least a certain degree is like as a player you had a lot more ability to control mm-hmm. right like because you were going to go out there right. and and a lot more was directly on your shoulders I'm not saying that coaches don't aren't extremely important right mm-hmm. but you're instructing people it's not like you can take the ball and get down the court and and set your teammates up or make the big shot yourself. Right. And, and I, I being a con, a control guy myself with my day job, um, I, I just think that would be very difficult and frustrating when you can see what play should be made. Like, oh my god, this kid's wide open. He's gonna back door, and, and, and it just doesn't happen. Or that to me is like the the frustrating. And I'm coaching fourth and fifth grade. Like, I can't <laughs> yeah, imagine yeah. what it's like for high yeah. school or college. And then that care piece, like when I when I was a player. Like basketball was my life. That's all I cared about. I wanted to be the best. When I walked on the court, I wanted to win all the time. And uh, I really had a hard time because not every player you coached had that care that you did as a player. Uh, And when I first started coaching in my younger years, I I didn't understand that. Why? Why why don't they care as much as I did? Uh, And then towards the end, I I started to – I think I really started to value – the relationship of the kids off the court as well as on the court, which helped me then understand, well, that's why they don't care as much. They Not everyone is like you that wants to play in college yeah. and things like that. So, um, But, yeah, I do miss the relationships of my, my kids and players. Yeah. Special stuff, though, right? Yeah, great stuff. Great memories. So, shoes. We, we do the uh, seventh inning yep. sawbone shoe stretch. And uh, when you walked in, I'm like, ah, oh, that's my man. <laughs> So what what are you wearing here, Keith? So these are just some uh, Carolina blue Nike Dunks, and um, I don't I, I I have a chew addiction, um, mostly Nikes like Air Jordan ones, Nike Dunks now, um, but I'm not as addicted how I used to be. I used to buy sneakers all the time. Obviously, getting married and having two kids probably changed that a little bit, uh, but I still do. Um, Probably every night I'm scrolling on my phone looking at different sneakers. StockX, Stadium Goods, is yeah, that where you get most yeah, of yours? Yep, yeah, both places. Now Hibbits is starting to sell oh, okay. a little bit. Um, but yeah, some of the StockX mostly and things like that. But I, I like these in 
particular because I'm a Carolina basketball fan. Big win last night. Yeah, big win. They played well. Yeah. Um, Definitely a better team than Duke this year, I would say. And um, I, I think so. I think they got um, they just got some more. Uh, they got some pieces around Davis and Baycott, like Ingram. Ingram. Yeah. Oh, he had a great game yesterday. You know, and, and people are going to probably walk away from that game and say how well he shot it, which he did, Ingram. But just the other stuff he, he can he, do, he, he rebounds. Exactly. He's one of those players that uh, his stat – sheet was amazing mm-hmm. but there, there's these impact players like a draymond green i was talking with um one of my boys about draymond and i said you know he's he's that kind of he's an impact player right he's not gonna necessarily light that stat sheet up right but he's one of those people that when he's in the game good things happen and um he it's almost like a hockey assist he'll make the great pass right before the assist exactly right yeah. or he'll tip the ball that allows them to to get another offensive rebound and another shot, another possession. And um, but yeah, I thought Baycott played great because he had been a little bit in a slump the past couple yeah, games. Yeah. yeah, he comes. Uh, sometimes I wonder. He just comes and goes, but he played well last night. What they're doing now, in North Carolina, is they're playing defense. Yeah. Beginning of the year, they were giving up 80, 85 points a game, and now they're holding teams low seventies and things like that. So, uh, yeah, big win, but. My sneakers come from, uh, I got a few pair of dunks, some black ones, some navy blue ones, uh, some teal ones. I got some red and black Jordan ones, but uh, these I bought because of North Carolina. So, so I, di- I didn't realize, I mean, I've learned quite a bit about you here, which is one of my favorite things about the podcast because yeah. you get to learn. I didn't know you were a, a, such a music guy, especially a Dave guy. So yeah. seriously, we should do a concert. We should, that'd be great. <laughs> I didn't realize you were a Carolina guy, and 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 this was not scripted. I, I'm a huge <laughs> Carolina guy myself because of Jordan, but... These are the University Blue Jordan 4s. Um, so my oldest son, Anthony, just turned 13 on Friday, so two days ago. And this was the pair of shoes that he wanted. And um, they finally came yesterday for, for him uh, in his size. So he was on cloud nine when we got home from the basketball games yesterday. And there was his box sitting there. And he didn't know what it was. He knew he was getting a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he warmed to dinner last night. But... Uh, yeah, obviously a huge Carolina fan myself. So um, before we go into the next part, um, which is the the Sawbones Challenge, okay. um, I want to tell a little story. Okay, I don't know if you remember this at all, okay. but it's gonna it's gonna be my chance for redemption out here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember where I'm gonna go here? I, I don't think so. Okay, so and I've told this story a couple times on on this podcast. So. Um, I can't remember the specific guests. Uh, one of them was actually on the three-on-three team, but there was a, a three-on-three tournament up at Family First. Remember those hoops? Yeah, yeah. I played with Dave Lanahan on my team. There, there was the metal poles with the metal backboards yep. with the triple metal rims. <laughs> yeah. The- not a shooter's rim at <laughs> yeah. all. Okay? So it was myself, my, uh, at the time, future current brother-in-law, who played, he was three or four years ahead of me, uh, maybe more than that, maybe five years ahead of me, played at Cambridge Springs. And then another close buddy of mine, Mike Burrows, who um, really didn't play. He sat the bench in high school, but was kind of a facilitator. And we, we just played a lot of three-on-threes. I love playing three-on-three almost as much as I love playing five-on-five, yeah. especially in the summertime. So we're playing, and we're going up against this, this team from Cathedral Prep. Julian Blanks, Graham Witherspoon, oh, yeah, this was and, and R.J. Fiorelli. 
And, you know, everybody's looking, they're like, ah, oh, the prep boys are going to just smoke <laughs> these country bumpkins. And um, we thought we were going to get smoked too. And for whatever the, the universe, the stars aligned for, for one game for me. And I caught fire on these hoops that were not shooter friendly. And um, I know RJ was guarding me at one point, then Julian was guarding me at one point. Did, didn't miss a shot. I mean, I was hitting NBA threes and it wasn't hitting the rim. So that's probably how I was making them. We smoked them. And at the beginning of the game, there was like three people around the court. By the end of the game, like it was that underdog story. People, the court was surrounded. Unfortunately, the, the story didn't end quite as well because the next game we played against another cathedral prep team, Keith Neese. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had John Trokey. We did. It was yeah. Dave. No, so Dave, I played in another tournament okay. up there before. And Dave was, I, I was going to say, I don't yeah. think Dave was on that yeah. team. So I played up there. I wasn't a huge three-on-three person. Just I go back to what I said earlier in, in the podcast about just being um, maybe not the most athletic. Uh, so three-on-threes never really suit me. And then when you had that, that triple rim, yeah. I never wanted to play. So I, I, I played in a couple up there, but Dave was one of them. But, yeah, this team. Who would have been the other? Probably Shazikowski. I think Shaz? so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you totally, you shut me down. <laughs> and, and, I mean, there's quite a height difference yeah. here. But, like, you, you were watching the game um, when we beat Julian and RJ and, and Spoon. And I think you were just like, yeah, he's not getting the ball. <laughs> and I remember I was like, well, we just beat these guys. Probably not going to beat these guys, but you never know. And, man, I, I knew what kind of player. You, that was the only time I ever really played against you. Um, and you, it was almost like a boxing one, but it was three on three. So you couldn't, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't a boxing one. You were like, I'm not letting him touch the ball. And I don't know what the final score was, but uh, my my glory was sh- was short lived. Yeah, yeah, that's but, all right. <laughs> so now, now is my chance. All right. So we're gonna do the sawbone challenge. Um, I'll leave it up to you. We can do. We've got the Papa shot over there. We've done a couple of those. Um, and then you watched the Jordan Fee episode. So we we oftentimes will play pig. Okay. So whatever you want to do. All right. Let's 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 pig it up then. Pig coming up. Sawbones challenge basement version. See you in a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. All right, Sawbones Challenge. So I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Okay, we're doing pig, basement version. Oh, man. Hey, by the way, we haven't taken any warm up shots. So. Thank you. Oh. Boys, should I, should I do some of the little Kobe stuff? Little, little fadeaways? No triple rims here, though, Keith. <laughs> oh, man. he pulls the bank off. Oh. You got it, Luke? All right. Open the door for him, Luca. How about a little underhand? Who was that? Who shot the underhand? Uh, one of the berries, right? Yeah. Was it Rick? Rick, that's it. Give him the old Kareem skyhook, right? Through the doorway. Kind of fake one way. Come up and over. Ooh. That's the home court advantage. Uh-oh, we gotta pee. We gotta pee on him. Okay. We're gonna go fade again. 
You like his shoes, boys? He's got the yeah, Carolina dunks. Redemption, folks, for what he did to me at the three-on-three -three at, at uh, Fury Family First. Many so. years ago. All right, Lou, go in for the alley -oop. Ready? Go. <laughs> oh! All right, Tino, you're up. Tori, can you start from there? I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You're gonna come in behind me. I'm gonna go off the backboard. You're gonna dunk it. Ready? Oh! oh that was nice. All right, so we're back. Um, so Keith, again, I just want to thank you for, for coming over today. This was, this was a lot of fun. I tell not only just my guests, but just my friends and family that this particular project, I'm always doing something, yeah. um, has been probably hands down one of my favorite projects in the past 15 years, including my day job. It just, it's fun for me to be able to kind of talk to people that, um, I think I consider very successful, very impactful people in the community. Um, and I'm a, I'm an eerie guy too, right? I didn't grow up here, but I've lived here long enough that I think there's great things happening in the area. And I love to be able to kind of spread that word and, and, uh, support for the community. Cause a lot of people, they can become haters and they can, you know, give eerie a hard, hard time. But yeah. yeah. So thank you yep. again for doing this. Yep. I appreciate it. I, thanks for having me. And, um, I can say all those things back to you, the impact that you're having and, and will continue to have. And, um, you know, you go back to that word haters and, and you're spot on. I think our world, just where we are as a society in the world is, you know, uh, we need to let that hate go somewhere else. And, um, you know, with, with social media and, and cell phones and very rarely do you 
get to talk anymore and discuss things and, and stuff like that. So anytime you get a chance to sit down and, you know, two of my passions, sports and special education, um, I appreciate you letting me share my story and some of my insight on some of the things that I love the most. So I appreciate it. It's going to be a very well-watched episode, <laughs> I can tell, just because you are such a big name in the community and have done so many great things, both, you know, as a high school, college player, but um, I think equally as a professional, right, yeah. with your your love and passion for education and especially for special education. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I again, I can't thank you enough for thinking about me and reaching out. And uh, I've been excited since the couple of weeks ago you reached out to me and kept telling my wife I can't wait to do this. And, and let's kinda... let's make a pact though. We're gonna do a Dave Matthews concert. Absolutely. Yeah. So yep. if you. You're way more experienced than me. I was like, I've been to 12 or 15. <laughs> yeah. You've been to 107 or yeah. something? Yeah. So um, maybe you give me the rundown of where. I know the one he was supposed to be or is going to be. Um, what's the one in Cuyahoga Falls? Yeah, Blossom. Blossom. Blossom, yep. We will be in Greece at that time. Uh, we're taking the family out there for a couple of weeks. Sweet. Um, but if there's another one either Star Lake or somewhere else. Absolutely. I'm willing to travel too. Sure. So. Yeah, we can make that happen. But, you know, in, in closing, I always ask my guests like, um, and I'm, I'm a guy that I live where I'm at at that moment that I'm in it, right? The present moment. But I always still like to ask kind of like the daydreamer type question is, where do you see yourself in five and 10 years? And I know your kids are probably going to dictate some of that because you're probably going to be here for at least that period of time. Yeah, you know, in my, you know, obviously, your profession kind of dictates where you, where you are going to go and obviously family as well. Professionally, I think um, probably someday it's my aspiration. You know, I'm director of special education, so the only place I can go from here would be superintendent. So maybe someday a uh, superintendent of schools in, in a school district. Um, if not that, I'll, I'll be, you know, directing special education in, until I obviously retire. I do think about, you know, sometimes starting my own pod podcast uh, around, you know, my experience in special education. Um, I also, I mentioned this earlier, I do suffer from ulcerative colitis. So uh, I kind of, I really enjoy um, giving back to people who suffer from that, just my experience and things that have helped me along the way, because it does take a toll on you mentally. And so I've always thought about how can I combine sports, ulcerative colitis and special education into some type of uh, podcast, or uh, I always have dreamt about writing a book someday. Um, well, I, I will tell you, um, as I, I said, this is one of my most fun projects. I yeah. think you'd be great at it because you do have so many areas of expertise yeah. and passions in your yeah, life. Yeah. So um, whatever I can do to help kind of, nudge you if if you need any um helpful suggestions my buddy jay he's great at editing these i mean you'll see when you you watch the jordan fee episode but um he helped me with the equipment um you know it can be a little intimidating absolutely but it's it's fun but you know five years i'll be continuing to grind and work and uh obviously helping kids with uh disabilities and uh being involved heavily in my children's uh, career whatever they choose to do whether it's sports plays or whatever so yeah well thank you again i know you have some dinner plans with your family so Absolutely. i don't want to take any more of your time but i do appreciate you taking this time out of your sunday afternoon early evening and yeah my pleasure it was great great 
Dave, Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews, okay. absolutely, yep. So <laughs> thanks again. Uh, again, I always encourage you guys to watch, like, subscribe, share with your friends. And uh, if you have any interesting people that you'd like to to see us uh, have and host as a, a guest on Hey Sawbones, just let me know. Uh, we've gotten a couple through kind of some of the YouTube channels and emails, suggestions of other guests, and uh, I'm open for it. I love meeting new people and sharing stories and, you know, pe- talking to people that you think you know. Um, and uh, not that I knew Keith super well, but like you start to find out commonalities and things that y- you really share with someone. So uh, thanks again. Have a great night. We'll catch you soon. Tell me all about it, Doc.